Hey, welcome to week number five in our series called Skeptics Welcome. Uh, not to be redundant again, welcome, welcome. Uh, this is the, the last message in that series that really, uh, the series has been based on the book uh, Jesus Skeptic by John Dickerson. Fantastic, uh, incredible book, highly recommend it. You can actually get a link to that a book to order it on Amazon if you, if you choose to, right at the bottom of our sermon notes page, message notes page on our website. Thank you for joining us on our online campus. Quick review, we're kind of answering this question that in our culture, there, there's this growing mentality, you know, Christianity really isn't that good, is it? that Christianity has been detrimental uh, to human flourishing. And what we're finding out is the primary evidence uh, that is indisputable is that that's a total fallacy, that nothing could be further from the truth. And in week number one, we talked about Jesus and, and history and human flourishing, just answering really that question. Week number two, uh, Jesus' justice and racial equality, how the whole abolitionist movement, the, the founders of the abolitionist movement in the United States and throughout the world were all devout followers of Jesus Christ based on God's word that they saw slavery Slavery was wrong and sought to abolish it. Uh, then we talked about Jesus, faith, and science, that really the founding fathers of the scientific revolution uh, really were all Christians. And again, it was because of God's word that motivated them to scientific discovery. And so faith and science are not uh, in conflict to one, with one another. They actually coincide and sync up very nicely and succinctly and although maybe you've been made to believe that and I've been made to believe that that's just a complete falsehood that faith and science are they contradict one another and then last week boy didn't Pastor Randy do a great job uh, as he shared the message really in line with this whole series uh, to breathe in and uh, today we're going to finish this series and I want to talk about Jesus human rights and compassion Jesus, human rights, and compassion, and it's kind of interesting even to start on this topic because each of us really have somewhat, even if you have like a, a poor self-image, poor self-esteem, each of us still has this inherent sense of worth or value, and, and there's this prevailing mindset in the world today, particularly in our nation, the United States, that all people have equal dignity, and we talk a lot about that. But these views that seem so basic, so fundamental to you and to me, uh, we would see them as essential truths. But you might not know this, but at the time of Jesus Christ, no one believed that. No one believed that people were equal, that every human being had intrinsic value. Folks did not believe that. That whole concept, that whole idea comes from the Bible and comes from Christ's own words and the Christian faith. That it seems so common, just, we, we just assume that nowadays, but it all comes from the pages of Scripture that incredibly good idea for all of humanity. The concept of human dignity was completely unknown in most ancient societies. For example, in ancient Rome, you were only a person if the state granted you certain rights and privileges. If the state said you're a person, then you officially were a person. Otherwise, you didn't have that, you weren't dignified as really even being a human being. If you weren't entitled to these rights, you weren't a person before the law. And so the law, you, you, you know, uh, your, your life pretty much was completely worthless. You could be mistreated or abused without any consequence whatsoever. 
your life or your, you were considered property and it could be, if you had any property, it could actually be taken from you, no questions asked, because the law, the official government didn't recognize you as a human being. But over and over again, Jesus repeatedly challenged the state's social order by socializing with what were outcasts in his day. He broke legal and social customs to honor and, and really to even dignify women, which women were not considered an actual person uh, under the law in the ancient days. But Jesus went out of his way. One, one of the great stories that maybe you remember uh, from the Bible is when Jesus talked to the woman at the well in John chapter 4. I'm not going to take the time to look at it because that's, that's like 42 verses, 43 verses, uh, just that one story. But Samaritans and Jews didn't talk at all to begin with, much less a Jewish rabbi like Jesus was and a Samaritan woman. And they have this incredible conversation. Jesus values her in this conversation, shows and communicates value to her, and she goes, ends up going back into town, brings the whole village out to see him, and the whole village recognized that he is the Son of God. Just one instance right there, how Jesus lifted the outcast in the culture and society and said, no, every human being has intrinsic value. That comes from Jesus. That, that now we just assume upon that is so prevalent. We can't imagine a world that, that's any different than that, but that's the reality. Jesus also put it this way in Matthew chapter 20, verse 16. So the last will be first and the first will be last. That, that the hierarchical kind of like pecking order uh, in, in the world, Jesus said that's going to be reversed. That that's man-made, that's not God-made. Like Jesus his early followers began treating everyone as full human beings regardless of what the ancient government and ancient customs were. And based on Jesus' teachings, they put into action their belief that people, every single person, was made in the image of God. Therefore, dignity should be extended equally to everyone as respecting God and his creation. No one is exempt from from being shown dignity and respect because every one of us, even though that image of God was tainted in the fall of Adam and Eve, we still bear some of that. Every human being is made, created in the image of God. And early Christian leaders taught that all believers are one in Jesus and that they're equal regardless of gender or social status. Look at this in the, in the Bible, in the New Testament, in Galatians this is a radical passage, a radical statement that the Apostle Paul writes in the Bible, in the sacred scripture, the sacred text of the Bible. It says, there is, there, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, now, there have been a lot of misinterpretations of other passages in the New Testament and, and talking about slave and free and Jew and Gentile and even male and female roles, but those are misrepresentative. It, it's, it's hard to just kind of twist this verse around. That, that Paul, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, you're all equal. The clear teaching of Scripture, you're all equal in the eyes of God. These convictions caused a huge, traumatic social shift that changed the way that people think about themselves, 
change the way that people think about others and, and their place in the world. In, in living out these truths of Jesus Christ, his teachings, his commandments, Christians have opposed and continue to fight for injustice, to protect human rights, champion, championing quality, dignity, and freedom worldwide. In fact, I just kind of want to share with you just some examples, and this isn't an exhaustive list at all, but some examples of Christian civil rights, real incredible activists that, that you may not be aware. Again, so much of our history is jaded to just pull out anything Christian, not to acknowledge anything about a Christ follower and what really was motivating them. But let's look at some of these Christian human rights uh, you know, real champions throughout the years. First, Bishop Richard Allen. He was a pastor, educator, and reformer. Bishop Richard Allen, a former slave and preacher since his teenage years, worked to elevate the social status of African Americans. He founded a church where former slaves could worship freely. He also taught them how to read and how to write. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, boy, one of my favorite heroes of the faith in the last century, pastor and author. He was a German pastor who sacrificed his life in protesting the Nazi regime in the 1930s. Bonhoeffer helped start a church to oppose Nazi influence on Christianity. He also plotted to kill Hitler, which led to his imprisonment and his execution. And if you can ever read his biography, uh, it's absolutely fantastic uh, read. Corey Tim Boom was an incredible author. Her and her family hid Jews in their home during World War II, helping hundreds of people escape the Nazis. After surviving imprisonment in a concentration camp, Corey wrote her family's story, which is called The Hiding Place. Corey held secret church services at the Nazi prisoner of war camp. All of these just incredible activists for human rights in the middle of incredible suffering. Let's look at some more. Bertha Bracey is a teacher and aid worker. Known as the British hero of the Holocaust, Bertha Bracey worked for, for Quaker Christian organizations that saved thousands of Jewish refugees from starvation during World War II. Bracey also convinced Britain to accept Jewish children as refugees to rescue them devout followers of Jesus Christ, acting out on their conviction in their heart because of their love for Jesus Christ. Matilda Getter was a Catholic nun and a social worker. Matilda risked her life to rescue hundreds of Jewish children during the Nazi occupation of Poland. Because they loved Jesus, Getter and her sisterhood of nuns hid and cared for children in safe houses to save them from concentration camps. This wasn't just like a, a good idea. This was her conviction because she loved Jesus Christ so much. Johann van Holst, educator and politician. Johann van Holst was a devout Christian, saved more than 600 Jewish children from Nazi persecution in Holland. He used his position as director of a religious school to hide children and smuggle them to safe houses so that they wouldn't be sent to concentration camps all because of their love for Jesus Christ and obeying Jesus Christ's words and instructions. Let's look at some more. Vernon Johns, pastor and civil rights pioneer. He, he used the teachings of Jesus to fight inequality. In the 1940s, he urged his church congregation to fight the racial status quo through protest. His outspoken views paved the way for Martin Luther King Jr., who later led the same church as Reverend Johns. 
Mordecai Wyatt Johnson, pastor and educator. He was a leading African-American preacher in the 20th century. As president of Howard University for 34 years, he advanced higher education for African-Americans and started a law school that taught leading civil rights attorneys. Of course, we can't forget Martin Luther King Jr., civil rights leader and pastor, was one of the most influential leaders of the civil rights movement in America. His work shifted public opinion on racial inequality. King applied Jesus' teachings about radical love to promote nonviolent resistance. He was brilliant, and what made him brilliant was applying Jesus' teachings to the cultural situation uh, and the racial inequality that was happening at the time, a devout follower of Christ. Gertrude Luckner, social worker and resistance leader, She worked with Catholic organizations to shelter and assist Jews during World War II. Luckner led an underground network to fund refugees and help them escape. After the war, she devoted her life to reconciliation between Christians and Jews. Benjamin Mays, pastor and civil rights leader, has been called the schoolmaster of the movement for civil rights. His writings significantly shaped the message of nonviolent resistance carried out by Martin Luther King Jr. The teachings of Jesus about love inspired Reverend May's strategy for justice. Again, Jesus' teachings. This is the incredible benefit of the Christian faith to humanity, even in just the last few centuries. How about Otto Frederick Nold? He was an educator and activist. Uh, He helped draft the first global declaration of human rights and create a human rights commission. Noel, a leader in the Lutheran church, worked through church organizations to fight for universal human rights based on what? Christian beliefs. Not any other faith, but Christian beliefs as the the entire framework for human rights found in the sacred text, the Bible itself. Let's look at some more. Adam Clayton Powell Jr., pastor, politician, and social activist. He was the first African-American congressman for New York. His legislation to deny federal funding to programs that maintain segregation was written into America's historic Civil Rights Act. John J. Shippard, pastor and educator, John J. Shippard founded Oberlin College, the first college in America to admit men and women regardless of their race. Shippard was also a pastor who devoted his life to serving God. And just like so many other incredible universities and colleges, they've strayed from that original foundation of who founded the college and university and what the purpose was. But this is the heritage and the roots behind the foundation of Oberlin College. Howard Thurman, pastor and civil rights leader, influenced a generation of civil rights activists in his theology of nonviolence. Reverend Thurman mentored and spiritually advised Martin Luther King Jr. He followed and promoted Jesus' teachings about peacefully fighting oppression. And it was that whole entire approach that really brought about the success of the civil rights movement. Not violence, not not destroying property, non-violence based on the teachings of Jesus Christ and a sacred text, the scripture, the Bible itself. 
Some more, Booker T. Washington, civil rights activist and educator. He promoted economic and educational opportunities for African Americans. He supported African American entrepreneurs and fought for voting rights for former slaves. He taught love and forgiveness based on Jesus' central teachings. Not some just general idea, but on the very words of Christ found in Scripture. Joop Westervelt educator and resistance leader. He was a Dutch school teacher who hid refugees from the Nazis during World War II. He was executed after trying to help a group of Jewish students and teachers escape to Israel. Westerwill prayed and sought God's guidance while he was in prison. Last example I want to show you, and this is just, again, scratching the surface. John Keshe, champion for women's rights. In his home country of Kenya, John Keshe increases access to education for the Maasai girls through financial scholarships and changing community attitudes. Keshe rescued girls from early marriages because of his faith in Jesus and Jesus' very own teachings. And so this is just a sample of the incredible legacy of Christians as great, really, catalysts for uh, human rights all throughout the world and all throughout just even those, most all of those in the last couple of centuries. Has Christianity been good for humanity? Has Christianity been good for human flourishing? I think if we look at the primary evidence, not the antichrist propaganda, but actual evidence, it's overwhelming that Christianity has indeed been overwhelmingly positive for the flourishing of humanity and for the fight for equality. Think about this for just a minute, just the whole idea of even compassion or, or charities, if you will. There are more right now in the, United, in the world, there are more than 1.5 million charities, I'm sorry, in the United States today. 1.5 million just in the United States. It's difficult for us to imagine a world where no one cared for those that were really in need. But in the ancient world, that was exactly what was taking place. That was the case. The poor and the outcasts of society were primarily forgotten left on the fringes to care for themselves or die trying. So what changed? What, was, what all of a sudden kind of changed? 1.5 million charities in the United States, just the United States today. What changed from this careless world that, that life was just meaningless? Nobody cared about the outcasts, those on the fringe. What changed? Followers of Jesus is what changed it around the world. Followers of Jesus made a social pact to care for each other and the needy among them. United in their hearts, early Christians shared everything that they had with each other. No one was in need because they sold their property and they provided for the less fortunate among them. The Bible records this. Acts chapter 4, verses 37, I'm sorry, 32 through 35. It said, all the believers were in one heart and mind demonstrating something that the world had not seen this before. No one claimed that any one of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. 
With great power, the apostles continued, watch this now, to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. A a lot of scoffers, a lot of uneducated and ignorant people say, well, nobody really believed in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That That was 100, 200 years later. No, right there we have it in the sacred text itself, the Bible, that the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of Jesus Christ in the first century, right after it actually happened. And in Easter, I wanna invite you back Easter, we're gonna talk about what what happened to just one of these gentlemen who was probably the biggest Easter skeptic that there's ever been. And we're gonna share his story. So make sure you join us for our Easter services, our four Easter services. Go ahead and reserve a seat. Uh, It's gonna be a powerful time of celebrating the resurrection. But, but the ch- early church held all things in common while the apostles, the leaders of the church, continued to testify about the resurrection of Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work on them all that there was no needy person among them. Anyone who had need was included in if they wanted to be a part. For from the time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Now, one thing I think is important to mention about this, as fantastic as this look, it was just a temporary thing, because the reason was they all sold, they sold all their assets, and they used it to reach more people, to take care of all people, but you know what happened? A famine ended up coming, and, and they literally were, began to starve to death because no one had any more assets to leverage or anything. And that's where you find later on in the New Testament, other churches, as Paul goes to receive a special offering to send back to Jerusalem because the people there were beginning to starve to death because they sold everything. So, so the, the teaching of Scripture is not, it's, it's meet the temporary need, but also understand kind of the long-term consequences of some of those decisions. But what the point is that we find here is that they brought in, they received, even those that were social outcasts had absolutely nothing, and they cared for them. And this was a new idea, a new concept. The early Christians modeled Jesus' example in this. Jesus' ministry of healing constantly reached the other people from lower social classes, those who the law rejected as sinners and, and women that, again, were considered not even like, like real citizens, not even a human being in the culture who were treated poorly, so poorly in Jesus' day. Jesus ignored class and gender to love those who made the majority uncomfortable. He showed that the others among us deserve dignity and respect as God's children. In fact, at one point, one of the religious leaders comes up to, uh, to Jesus kind of pretty arrogant and, and, and trying to really show how awesome he was. And he goes, you know, I, I, how am I supposed to love my brother? I do love my brother. And, and in the, that context, what they did was they just loved those that loved them, that, that did what they wanted them to do. is completely conditional love. And Jesus told this story, this parable that's often referred to as the parable of the Good Samaritan in response to this religious leader saying, well, who's my brother, really? I I mean, is, is it just my flesh and blood? That's all it is. I'm okay with that. Who's really my brother? And listen to this story that Jesus told to illustrate the point that who his followers need to care for. In reply, Jesus said in Luke chapter 10, verse 30, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and went away leaving him half dead. 
A priest happened to be going down, so this is a Jewish priest. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. He saw him, but he just kept on walking. So to a Levite, so this is the, the tribe of Levi in, in Israel and in Judaism. That's the tribe where the priests would come from uh, of the 12 tribes. So a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. And, and so even the, the one tribe that was considered a little more, was revered a little bit more because this is where the priest came from. He passed by, saw him and ignored him but a Samaritan. Again, these were ethnic enemies, really, of Israel. They didn't talk to one another. They didn't socialize with one another. They didn't acknowledge one another at all because of some real cultural and ethnic differences. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. And he went to him and he bandaged his wounds pouring on oil and wine. That was used as medicine back in the day. Then he put the man on his donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. And then Jesus asks the crowd, and again, this religious leader, Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And then Jesus makes this statement, go and do likewise. That's who your brother is. Go and do likewise. And since that time, followers of Jesus, like you, like me, like so many hundreds of thousands, millions of others, have gone and done likewise. Not because it was a good idea, not for the good of humanity, but in obedience to Jesus' instruction to his followers. That's why you see so much good in the world today, so much, the whole idea of compassion on those that really, could you put it this way, aren't deserving of it, but because they're made in the image of God, the teachings of Christianity, not any other religion, because they're made in the image of God, they have value, incredible value. And so we as his followers should go and do likewise. Jesus' followers adopted his commandment to love their neighbors Jesus instructed them to show mercy to strangers in need and to actually be that you and I would actually be good Samaritans. In fact, let me just put it this way. Showing mercy to the poor, according to Jesus, is more than compassion. It's obeying God's law. It's obeying God's law. In other words, this isn't just a good idea. This isn't just nice people. We are actually doing what God commanded you and I to do. When we show mercy to the poor, when when we show mercy to the outcast, when we care for those in need, we're actually fulfilling and obeying the law of God. Christians have taken this duty so seriously through the years 
and established a culture of charity that continues even to this day. This culture of charity now touches every continent and nearly every country in the entire world. Jesus' followers continue to establish hospitals and orphanages and schools and food programs and much, much more for people whose society has forgotten and pushed out and pushed to the fringes. Let me share with you just some examples of some Christian, uh, Christian and compassion organizations that were founded by Christians. Many of these you've probably heard of, but again, weren't aware of because of the jaded history we've been taught and that we're, that, that we're told in our culture and society, but they were founded on Christian principles by Christians that loved Jesus Christ and took him at his word. Let's look at some of these. William and Catherine Booth, founders of the Salvation Army. William and Catherine Booth, you know know the little bell ringing at Christmas, Santa Claus on the corner? William and Catherine Booth founded the Salvation Army in the mid-1800s to reach the poor in East London with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the entire reason they founded it. Today, the Salvation Army meets the needs of people in more than 100 countries because of Jesus Christ's commandment to love their neighbor as themselves, to go and do likewise. Compassion International, child advocacy. Compassion International seeks to free children worldwide from the bondage of poverty by partnering with local churches. Compassion assists holistically by organizing child sponsorship and providing education, life skills, training, food, and clean water. Again, founded on Jesus' own words and his teachings. Habitat for Humanity, providing housing, partners with communities to build affordable homes, revitalize neighborhoods, and financially empower families. Habitat seeks to demonstrate the love of Christ by giving everyone a place to call home. These are Christians that founded these organizations. You may not hear that on the front end, but that's the reality. Let's look at some more. Edgar Helms, Goodwill, the founder of Goodwill. In the early 1900s, Edgar J. Helms, a Christian minister, founded Goodwill to provide jobs and cheaper goods to the poor to improve their lives. Helms also advocated for equal employment for the disabled. Helms once stated that Jesus founded Goodwill. How about that? In our own community, communities all throughout uh, our nation and around the world as well. The American Red Cross, emergency aid and disaster relief. The American Red Cross provides emergency aid, disaster relief, and preparedness education. The Red Cross was founded by a Christian nurse who provided medical aid, food, and clothing to soldiers during the Civil War. And notice it's the Red Cross. Why the cross? Because of the cross of Jesus Christ. It's not just a cool logo that a marketing firm came up with. It's represent the cross of Jesus Christ founded by a devout follower of Jesus. Samaritan's Purse, crisis relief and development. Samaritan's Purse helps people in crisis worldwide. Founded by Robert Pierce in 1970, its mission is inspired by Jesus' teaching on the Good Samaritan to help hurting people who may be otherwise 
overlooked. Samaritan's Purse, Operation Christmas Child is a part of that that we participate in every single year. Uh, also, the boxes that go worldwide to children in need. Let's look at some more. Of course, Mother Teresa, Catholic nun and missionary. She's the founder of Missionaries of Charity, devoted her life to radically caring for the outcasts, the sick and the poor in the slums of India. Her organization now serves thousands of people in over 130 countries because she loved Jesus Christ. How about the United Way? But you didn't know that was founded also by Christians. Charitable partnership. United Way mobilizes the caring power of communities around the world to advocate for the common good. The United Way was founded in 1887 by an interfaith group of ministers, a priest, and a rabbi. So Jewish and Christian together. George Williams, YMCA founder. At age 22, George Williams founded the largest youth charity in the world, the YMCA, which by the way stands for Young Men's Christian Association. That's the acronym YMCA. It's not the village people that came up with that. That's the acronym, the YMCA, Young Men's Christian Organization, in 1844. A devout Christian, Williams wanted to create a safe place for men to escape the streets of London to study the Bible and to be able to pray together. How about that? Let's look at some more. This last one, World Vision International, Christian Relief and Development. World Vision International partners with communities worldwide to holistically combat poverty and injustice. Child sponsorship is a key component of its programs. Maybe you've had an adopted child from World Vision before. Uh, My wife Susie and I have uh, certainly over the the years. World Vision's mission follows Jesus' teachings to love others and to alleviate, alleviate suffering. So just incredible wealth, incredible history, the reality of the good, and again, just scratching the surface of all the primary evidence. No one in honest can honestly say, based on primary evidence, that Christianity has been bad for this world. It's an, it's an out-and-out fabrication. Nothing could be further from the truth. The problem is, for so many of us, we don't know the reality of our Christian history, our Christian heritage. And I hope this series has really been an eye-opener. I've heard so many uh, people, there's just so much great feedback that really has been eye-opening. And again, really recommend this book, Jesus Skeptic. Uh, So much more information here than we could cover in, in five weeks of sermons. But before we end, I, I wanna just bring this right, right down to Valley Christian Church family. You know, because we do take seriously the teachings of Jesus Christ and, and, and the great need that, that, that those that are in need, we, we need to provide for them, we need to help them. And, and I'm so proud, just so humbled, Valley family, for what you've done in our Ukraine relief effort as, as we have received special offering uh, just for really a couple weeks in March that now total for Ukraine relief that we've already gotten into their hands Total $63,400. You did that, Valley family, for those in need. $63,400 that you've given for, toward Ukraine relief. That being said, actually, Pastor Anatoly Geverluk, the pastor of Living Word Church, uh, he, he had his tech team put together a thank you video because we're not the only ones. There's, there's many churches uh, in the United States and, and around the world that are helping 
but, but I want to share this quick video with you right now as a thank you so you can see the difference that you are making, Valley Family, in response to being a good Samaritan, just like Jesus told us that you and I were to do likewise, and you certainly are, Valley Family. Watch this video, and thank you. February 24, 2022 is the day that will be remembered in history all over the world. The day when Russia started war against Ukraine. Today, as always, the Church stands in the forefront of supporting those in need, especially during such challenging times for our country. Quite often, we hear that the words volunteer and believer are synonyms. From the very first day of the Russian invasion to the Ukrainian territory, we, as a Church, proactively joined efforts to support and provide help to the population of our country. With the help of our partners, sponsors, friends, and those who simply wanted to help, we keep on getting financial, material, medical support and food. Thanks to this help, the following has been possible. Purchase of three buses that enable us to evacuate civilians from Chernigiv and deliver humanitarian aid. Provision of financial and food support to pensioners, lonely persons, sick people, moms with kids, low-income citizens, children with disabilities and refugees who moved to Kyiv from hotspots. Support of local administration and Department of Social Protection. Active cooperation with charity funds, religious and non-governmental organizations, as well as provision of food support to Territorial Defense Forces of Ukraine. To all our friends, Christians, charity organizations and people of goodwill, sincere thank you and low bow to you on behalf of Christians of the Union of Charismatic Christian Churches of Ukraine, the Living Word Church and all people who have been touched and those who will be blessed by your support. Many thanks to you. We thank God for every one of you and pray that the Lord may abundantly bless you and your families. We trust in the quick victory of good over evil. Thank you so much, Valley family. So many, so many faces in that video right there, personal friends uh, of Susie and mine, uh, loved ones that we love so dearly. And you really are taking Jesus' word seriously to do likewise just like the Good Samaritan that he talked about. I want to ask right now, would you bow your heads with me and let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for these last five weeks where we've been able to really drill down deeper into the indisputable evidence of the good that Christians and the Christian faith have made impact on humanity. God, we know that if it, was, if it was stripped away, this world would be a horrible, wretched, so much worse place than it is today. And we thank you for those faithful men and women that have gone before us. God, I just pray a special blessing on all those that have given so generously in the Valley family. Lord, really being the good Samaritan, taking Jesus at his word to show mercy to the poor, it's not just compassion, it's really obeying your instruction and your law to us as your followers. And God, may we increase every single day, Lord, with greater compassion on those around us when we see a need that we would meet it. 
just as your followers have always done, may we also be faithful in our lifetime. In Jesus' name, amen.